Hey friends, welcome back. I hope you are doing well uh, and that you're uh, staying together through all of this. I know for me this week, for both me and for my family, uh, has felt pretty heavy. Uh, so if that's been your experience, you're not alone. And if you're experiencing things are good and still moving forward and full of joy, then I'm really excited for you to get to experience that as well. Uh, today, we are wrapping up our series that we've been, this three-week series as we've been uh, taking a look through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, specifically 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, and what we've been realizing through the series is that 1 Corinthians 13 is often known as the love chapter, right? Something that we read at weddings and everything. But uh, the usefulness uh, for this passage, as Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, was actually to help them to get through resolving the conflicts that they were having with each other. He was trying to help them to work out their differences. And so we also see, not just as this uh, kind of a, a conflict resolution session from Paul, but we also see 1 Corinthians 13 not just as this independent chapter, but we recognize that it's also a summary of the rest of the advice that Paul is giving throughout the entire letter to the Corinthians, right? So when we understand it that way, we can look at, at the broader context and find a lot more about what's going on in the situation. The first week we were looking at 1 Corinthians 13, we recognize Paul's advice to not let our preferences and priorities divide us, right? That too often we can let those things, our opinions, the things that we look forward to, the things that we like, we can let those things get to the point that they begin to come between us and begin to divide us. Just last week, we looked at remembering to remember the whole picture of love. Right, that love is not simply not doing anything bad, but there's something much more and much full and much greater to our understanding of love and community. And we also recognize that the whole picture of love shows us that love isn't just something that we can add on to life. It's not just an extra that we can throw in there, even if the rest of life doesn't look very loving. For us to really love each other well in community, we need to consider the whole picture. So today we're going to dive in and we're going to look at the last part of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, as well as kind of the last section of the entire book here. So uh, let's go ahead and dive in. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Today we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 13. Paul writes this, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as through a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So this is kind of an interesting section here because there's a lot in there. There's a lot of kind of weird terms and weird language that maybe we haven't heard about or we, or we don't use it much anymore. There's a lot of kind of poetic stuff that it's kind of hard to tell what Paul might really be talking about. Um, in general, this section of the chapter is kind of uh, the most confusing at times. But if we look at it just as a whole, what we see just at its, as, at its basic components is that in this section, Paul is comparing and contrasting some things, right? Uh, 
he's comparing and contrasting actually things that people in this community are valuing, right? On one side, he's comparing love, or the thing that he's been talking to us about throughout this book and throughout this chapter specifically. And on the other side, uh, he's talking about these things that people are valuing and talking about in the community, which he lists as uh, prophecies, tongues, and knowledge, right? So there's love on one side and prophecies, tongues, and knowledge on the other side. But he's not just talking about those categories of things because he's also talking about the outcomes for those different categories, right? So for love, uh, that value, love is something that he says throughout this section, love remains, or as he says in the end, uh, or as he says in the beginning of verse eight, love never fails, right? Love results in continuing and going on and continuing to move forward. But the other things, uh, the prophecies, tongues, and knowledge, he says that they will cease, they will be stilled, they will pass away, right? So love that remains and these other things that all kind of end up falling apart in the end. Now, before we go any deeper, I want us to just pause and point out the one obvious theme that already comes here. Paul is telling us, when given the chance, we need to pursue the meaningful things that last, right? Pursue the things that remain. Pursue the things that never fail. Pursue the things that go on, not the things that will cease, will stop, will fall apart in the end. Pursue the meaningful things that last. Now, this is a lesson that I have to teach my kids. It's a lesson I relate to. It seems like every time my kids come across a little bit of money from birthdays or Christmas or whatever, the, automatically they want to go to the dollar store, right? I don't get it. My children are completely enamored with the dollar store. And when I talk to them about it, they're always saying, but dad, we can take our $20 and we can get 20 different toys, $1 each. That's 20 toys, dad. And I, and I always tell them, yeah, but you should take and save that money and buy one toy that costs $20, but actually going to last you, right? Because the kids, they will go and they'll buy these toys and they have fun with them. And then invariably the toys break, usually within an hour, sometimes maybe three hours, right? And luckily they'll make it through an entire day with one of these dollar store, store toys. Uh, and I just keep telling them like, if you buy something that's cheap like this, if you buy something from the dollar store, I don't care how cool it looks, I don't care how many toys you can buy, if you're gonna expect these things that you're getting to keep you happy and last like a normal toy, you're gonna be disappointed, right? I think anyone who's a grown up understands that, that analogy. The reality is it's better to pursue the meaningful things that last. Now, that may seem obvious that we should pursue better things. So let's take a deeper look at what's going on here. Let's take a look at those things that he's kind of warning us about that won't last, that, that um, won't remain, that will fall apart in the end. Let's take a look at those, which are prophecies, tongues, and knowledge. First, let's just take a look at those first two, prophecies and tongues, the ones that maybe you haven't heard as much about or maybe we haven't talked about. Uh, prophecies and tongues, as Paul is talking about this, uh, these were kind of seen as supernatural talents or gifts, right? Like not natural things that, that you just kind of grow into, uh, but things that were given by God as these special gifts or talents. Uh, the ability to prophesy is the ability to hear truth from God and to speak it to the benefit of the church, right? So to, to hear from God through prayer, 
the truth about a situation and to be able to go and share that with the rest of the community for their benefit and for their good. That's prophecy. Um, you could say it's the ability to, to give just the right advice at just the right time because it's been guided by God, right? So that's what that is. Uh, if you haven't heard of tongues, as it's being used by Paul here, they understood tongues as the ability to talk, to supernaturally talk with God in a language that isn't known to man, right? To talk to God in another language that nobody else understands. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking here, what I would have been thinking uh, through life, what is going on here, right? What are, what are these things that we're ta talking to God in a different language that people can't understand and being able to know things uh, through, through just talking to God for the sake of the church? What, what are these supernatural gifts? Well, thankfully, Paul explains a little further. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, just in the next chapter, verse 22, he says this. He says, tongues then right, talking in another language with God. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. All right, so just from that, we see that Paul is showing us that these things have a purpose in their community. So in a world where God is trying to communicate God's message of love to the world, and in a world where there's religious advice everywhere, right? Everybody has a religion, everybody has an opinion, everybody's trying to get that message out there. Uh, Paul is talking about these supernatural talents that became powerful tools to build credibility for both the messenger and the message, right? People tend to listen more when there's people doing supernatural things. So think about it. If you were living around back then and somebody came up to you and they said, hey, God says you can stop doing all those religious things you've been doing so that you don't go to hell. He says you can stop doing it. It's okay. It's going to work out okay. Just trust me. I think you'd be like, uh, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this, right? But if that same person came to you and said that same message, like, hey, God says you can stop doing all those religious things you've been doing, all those hoops you've been jumping through so you don't, so you don't go to hell. God's saying that you don't need to do those things anymore and it's going to be okay, trust me. But then they told you something about your life that nobody else would have ever been able to possibly know, that nobody else had known. They told you some, they supernaturally knew something about your life. Uh, you, you might listen to them more, right? And you might recognize that there's something about this person, this messenger that's giving me this message that I should take seriously, right? So these things were tools for the early church to establish credibility uh, and so that they could benefit and encourage and keep each other going in this time. So what does that mean for us today? Um, if these were things that Paul's talking about, if these were things Paul's encouraging people to, what does it have to do for South Bend City Church? Well, and why, I guess, why don't we talk about these things very much anymore? Well, some would say that the supernatural gifts that Paul's talking about cease to exist at some point. Uh, that these were tools that were given by God supernaturally to build the credibility of the early church while the church was just trying to find a voice and share the message that God had shared with them that these things were tools for that purpose, and once that purpose was accomplished, that these tools aren't useful anymore, and that these tools went away. Okay, so some would say, the reason that we don't talk about this much anymore, or see this much anymore, is simply because these things don't exist anymore, because their, their time and their season and their purpose has been served. 
Uh, now others would take a different uh, perspective on that. Some would say that these, these gifts, these tools, these resources, they actually exist just as much, uh, but that people aren't tuned into them, right? We're not thinking about them. We're not uh, trying to listen to God. We're not trying to see what supernatural things that God might have for us. Uh, and so if we listened more, then uh, we would realize that those things are still there and they are still tools and resources for us as a church that we could use if we only paid attention to them more. So that's kind of another perspective. Um, so what do I say? I say that for the purpose of understanding this specific passage, uh, we can apply all of the same principles that Paul is teaching us here. We can apply to natural tools as well as supernatural tools. Right? So the message that Paul is trying to communicate here isn't dependent on just having a conversation about these supernatural things. It also applies to just normal, natural tools and resources that we would use anyway. Uh, why do I think this? Because Paul also, he doesn't just talk about prophecy, uh, prophecies and tongues here. He also talks about knowledge here. Right? When Paul is talking about knowledge and knowledge fading away, uh, he's talking about that appeal to knowledge and philosophy right? that we talked about two weeks ago. He's talking about the thing that appeals, that's the obsession of the Greek people uh, where the city of Corinth was found. Right? Uh, philosophy, the pursuit of knowledge. Right? This is something that people became obsessive about. And Paul is saying, hey, yeah, with these supernatural tools and resources, but also with these natural things like knowledge and philosophy and the ability to think and pursue truth together. There should be caution here. So altogether in this passage, Paul's warning applies to both the natural and supernatural tools that people would use in helping the church and helping others see God's good news. So since it applies to both the natural and supernatural, for the purposes of this discussion, uh, I've decided not to decide on the nature of the supernatural, except to say that if you come across the supernatural in your life, these supernatural tools and resources, I'm going to encourage you to listen to Paul's advice that we're gonna dive into a little more here. You may say, that's sidestepping the question. And I would say, I absolutely agree. So let's get back to Paul's advice and see what he has for us in understanding these natural and supernatural tools. All right, so the interesting thing about Paul's advice here in 1 Corinthians 13 isn't that it's just, it's not just a summary of something he said before. Like the rest of the chapter, right, uh, we were seeing as summaries of things that he'd said earlier in the letter. But in 1 Corinthians 13, it's actually the middle part of the sandwich on the topic. So when he's talking about uh, prophecies and tongues and knowledge, it's not just a summary, but it's in the middle of him talking about those exact subjects in chapter 12 and those same exact subjects in chapter 14. So he actually is teaching them about these tools, right? He's teaching them to go and find and use these tools, right? So even though this, this section that we look at right now seems like just an entirely a warning, it's a warning in the midst of an encouragement to pursue these tools that would be helpful to them. But it's like he's saying, hey, these tools are really good for you. These tools are gonna to be really helpful for you. But it's like in the middle of that, as he's telling them about these tools, he realizes that things are gonna go wonky if he doesn't also include a warning. I think of my dad teaching me to drive when I was in high school. I remember being in that car and him sitting next to me. We were in a cemetery because um, he, he felt that way I couldn't, I couldn't kill anybody who was still alive. Um, so we were driving around and he, uh, 
So I remember when I first sat in the seat and he looked at me and he said, all right, now the first step here is you're gonna put your foot on the brake and then you're gonna put your key in the ignition and you're gonna turn it on. Now we're gonna grab the gear shift that's currently in park and, but before he went on, he said, wait. He said, now this car is going to help you to have the freedom to know where to go. It's a great tool for you, but I know you, Ryan, and I know what you're going to do. You're gonna to wanna to drive around, and instead of just using this as a car to get you from one place to another, you're gonna to want to use this car to help you to look cool. You're gonna have this temptation as you're driving around to want to fiddle with the radio in ways that could be dangerous for you. You're gonna have a temptation to want to drive fast in ways that you feel would be exciting or make you look cool. You're gonna to wanna to have the temptation to flirt with people in the car while you should be focused on driving. As you have all of those things that come up and all of those other thoughts while you're using this tool, I need you to know don't do it because it's not going to be safe, it's not gonna be good for you. And once you have that, once I had that lesson, then my dad continued with, Proceeding with a lesson. All right, now Ryan, put the car in drive and gently put your foot on the gas. Let's move forward. Right? He does that because he knows what it's like to be a teenager. He knows how easy it is to get distracted from the important stuff by the flashy stuff. And he knows how easy it is for tools to get in the way of the main thing. So just like my dad paused right in the middle before he finished teaching me how to use this really powerful tool of a car, Paul also pauses right in the middle of his education to them on the availability and access and how to use these tools that were available to them. And he begins to talk about something really important because Paul knows human nature and he knows how easy we can get distracted. All of us can get distracted by flashy things. So Paul pauses like my dad, and offers some caution. Another interesting clue in understanding how Paul's thinking about all this comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. In this, Paul says this. He says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So the analogy Paul's using here is this analogy of thinking like a grown-up instead of thinking like a child, which I think we all can relate to the differences in those thinking. But what he's, what he's referring to specifically here is a bit ambiguous. It's kind of unclear what he's saying and what ways they're thinking like a child or in what ways they need to think more like an adult. It's ambiguous until we proceed to the next chapter. In chapter 14, we see Paul use that very same kind of language when he's teaching them. So chapter 14 is interesting because in chapter 14, Paul spends the entire chapter kind of comparing the tools of prophecy and the tools of tongues, right? Again, the tool of tongues is speaking in this supernatural foreign language between an individual and God. And the caution that Paul's saying in chapter 14 is telling them that, hey, speaking in tongues, it's great. It's really flashy. It helps people out there kind of have a sign that God is doing something that they should take note of and maybe listen to the messenger here. It's great for all that, but when it comes to the church, nobody understands you when you're talking in a different language. Paul's saying, if you're just doing this flashy thing that, that has some benefit, but, but nobody understands you when you're doing it, you are not helping so much, right? 
you're just kind of getting sidetracked by the flashy thing. He says, in, he says it like this in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 18 through 20. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a supernatural language. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. There it is, thinking like children. For Paul, he's recognizing this tendency to obsess about the things that feel good instead of thinking about the things that actually accomplish something good. And again, I think that's something we can relate to. I think of like me growing up just with relation to how I think about cars. When I was in high school and college, uh, I would be obsessed with sports cars, right? My favorite was when like a, an Audi TT Roadster, I don't even know if they make those anymore because I'm not really into cars. Uh, but an Audi TT Roadster would drive by and I was like, oh man, look how cool I would look in that thing, right? Like I will look so cool in that car. But now that I'm an adult, right? Like I will see a minivan drive by and I will be like, dang, I bet I could fit a ton of kids and groceries in that thing, right? At some point, we grow up. At some point, uh, we go from kids who think about what's fun to adults to grown-ups who think about getting stuff done. It's a difference in how we see and how we approach the world. And once again in this passage, Paul's pointing to that. He's recognizing our immature tendency to get distracted by the flashy tools and to forget about the important stuff. Actually, too often, tools get in the way of our mission. Well, back then, he was talking to them about spreading the message throughout the world and being wary of prophecy and tongues. But what, how does this warning apply to us? South Bend, South Bend City Church 2020. Well, the mission is still the same, right? That we are living to help the world see that God's love is available for everyone. And we're living life in these communities of grace and peace or churches that try to reflect that reality that God's love is available for everyone. But what are the tools that distract us then? Paul brought up prophecy, tongues, knowledge. What are the tools for us that distract us? Well, before we get into it, I want to pause. And I first just want to emphasize one last time that the nature of tools is that they are by definition helpful, right? The stuff that Paul was warning them about was the same stuff that he was trying to teach them about and encourage them to use. So when we talk about the tools that maybe distract us or keep us from loving each other well, let's remember that the problem is not necessarily the tools themselves. The only problem is when the tools overtake the purpose. So. What are the tools for us? What are the ways in which these tools come into our life that we could use to accomplish great things and helping people see the love of God, but sometimes the tools end up distracting us? Well, first of all, let's talk about resources, the resources in our life. I mean, even money. I don't think there's a good Christian ethic that doesn't include seeing money as a resource or a tool for the good of the world. If we believe that resources come from God, 
then any resources we receive are tools to be used for the good of everyone. And the problem is too often we start that way, right? We start desiring for the resources we have to be used for the good of others, right? And we're generous and we're kind and we're helping where we can. But too often over time, we begin to hoard for ourselves the resources that come across our table and to exclude others. Too often over time, we get to a point where we just start giving uh, the resources that are kind of the extra resources. Once we've done all the things we want to do, we only give the rest of that that's there. And instead of using our resources as tools then, and our financial resources as tools, we get into a mode where our life gets spent around pursuing the tools and protecting the tools instead of using the tools to accomplish the purpose. I think money is one of those flashy things that really often sidetracks us from this call to sacrificially love each other well. I think about the resources of a church, right? The church building itself can even become that at times. The church building often can become this great, it is this great resource, right? It helps people to gather together. It helps people to feel safe. It helps us to communicate the messages of love that we're trying to communicate. But too often, uh, again, we become enamored by these physical tools, these buildings, right? And over time, it becomes this pursuit of the building itself that we get bigger buildings and fancier buildings and uh, more expensive buildings. And often the church building can become a higher priority than the church mission itself as it becomes about comfort and experience and status. Another resource that comes to mind that too often uh, can become the main thing instead of the call and the mission to love each other is the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong here. The Bible is one of the greatest tools we have in understanding the love of God. But sometimes we become obsessed with the Bible and passages that even maybe are obscure at times in our particular interpretation of the Bible, we can become obsessed with the Bible in ways that the Bible becomes divisive and harmful. But the Bible is intended to be a tool for love, a tool that helps us to understand the love of God so that we would love each other and love the world better. But too often, the Bible becomes just another instrument to harm one another. Sometimes, the tool distracts us from the mission, even when the tool is excellent. Uh, a final tool that I think about is just the idea of power and position, right? Power and position can be a great resource. It can be a great way to make a difference in the world, right? If you have power and position, you can affect change. You can actually make things happen. But how many times do we have stories in this world? And yeah, even stories in the church world where people have become infatuated with their own power and position. And the tools of power and position for leaders end up going to their head, end up becoming about them and leads people towards hurting those who they've been entrusted with protecting. So many times the tools, even good tools, 
can become problems when they overtake the mission and the call to love one another. Paul knows human nature. He knows there are so many great tools and resources out there to help us to love the world well. But he also knows how easy it is to fall in love with the tools and to forget about the love that's supposed to be the main thing. May we heed Paul's caution. May we embrace the tools that we've been given because they are given to us to help us. But may we also use these tools responsibly for the good of community in the world. And may we recognize that the tools themselves will ultimately fail us if we hold on to them too tightly. I want to leave you with Paul's encouragement to another church, the church in Philippi, another neighboring Greek community. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Paul gives this caution. He says this, in your relationships with one another, I encourage you to have the mindset the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider that equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Grace and peace be with you, friends.